Psychology in Seattle. Umberto, have you seen the movie called Toy Story? I have heard of it, yes. Oh, you've seen them. I've seen them. You've seen all four of them. I have. I've seen several of them multiple times. Let's talk about the psychology of all four Toy Story movies. What do you say? I love it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I am a professor in Seattle. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I sew together uh, bandanas, but my annas are more general, not just for bands. Ah, Interesting. So what would it be like to be the toys? Because I feel like if we talk about the psychology of the toys themselves, I think we could really – it's pretty frightening to think about what it would be like (laughs) to actually be those toys. Right, because like was there a development period for these toys, like childhood? Or is it they come into existence and they are what they are? We saw for the very first time – a toy actually coming into existence. Well, we've seen it twice. You mean with Sporky or Forky, with, whatever? So with, with Forky, and then we also saw in Toy Story 1 when Buzz Lightyear beca- oh, sure. be- becomes sentient. That's right. You know, he's turned on and comes out of the box, boom. And so we see what that's like. You know, there's, you're, you come fully formed with a personality. Which is tricky, right? Because, like, why do they have anxieties and fears and different personalities? But fine, I'll allow it. But fine, but so there's so they some, don't have parents. They never had a childhood. Right. They don't have any of those memories. They live forever. They are immortal unless unless they're destroyed. As yeah, a, yeah, as right. A, they, as a toy. But they don't get they don't get old. Sick from colds and things. It seems like right. They can get owies like broken limbs and yeah. They don't sleep. They don't sleep. They don't sleep. They don't sleep. Uh, so there's just some. Oh right, because they also have to be ready to play at any moment. Yeah, there. I don't. Remember there ever being a scene where one of the toys like woke up? Do they use the bathroom? No. Yeah, they don't, they don't go. They, they don't eat. I mean, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't eat. I don't think they have to breathe. Why would they? Yeah. So toys have to be put. They have to survive plastic bags all the time. Yeah. So toys are. They're just like human beings. They have the same desires. They want to have fun. They want attachments. They fall in love. They want to feel like they have self esteem. They want to be entertained. But they can't procreate. They can't procreate. So, but, let's, but the most important element of the toy's existence that would impact their psychology mm-hmm. is the fact that many toys are left in a box or an attic or a drawer or you know, underneath your bed for years without anyone playing with it. So they want to be played with. Because them being left in the box by itself is okay because they can get up, move around, do stuff. But the fact that no human is playing with them. So they have kind of a very unhealthy attachment to being played with by a human. <laughs> yeah. They're, well, they're mostly – but they play around with that throughout the different movies in that sometimes some toys are like, ah, screw kids. Right. Like, I, so they, they don't, they're not programmed to play no, with kids. it's not a man, uh, programmed mandate, but it is some – Many of them seem to have a need to be wanted by a kid, right. to be needed. Right. Forky, though, did not really. No. Like, Forky came into existence and just considered himself to be trash. Yeah, I just want to be in the trash. And just <laughs> wanted to go in the trash and didn't really care about Bonnie, who had, who had created him. Right. But the biggest thing here that I feel like needs to be emphasized is, like, Jesse, for example, Woody's uh, counterpart, the, mm-hmm. the girl— 
she we consider like a sister or something. Yeah. She was bought by a, a girl, Emily, I believe she was, her name was, and in the 60s and was playing, you know, she had her best friend and they would yeah. go to parks together and they play together. And then one day her, you know, her owner, her kid became a teenager and started putting on makeup and had friends and had psychedelic rock posters right. on the wall and she didn't play with her toys anymore and that's normal. You know, 17 year olds are going to play with her dolly anymore right. necessarily. And so the dolly is under the bed. She just sort of fell under the bed one day and the kid just never went looking for the dolly. So for what seems to be four years, maybe as much as eight years. Yeah, a long time. Jesse is left in the same position under the bed, completely sentient and eyes wide open, never falling asleep. Well, so it's like you have, you know, that locked in syndrome. Yeah. Where it's like that. The, the, d- dust is building up on side of her. Now she, that the world is through with me. And she's just watching her, the feet of her, <laughs> her once like best friend occasionally walk by the bed. Years and years of just sitting there doing nothing. But why? She could get up at night, walk, go play with the other toys, and then come back to the same position. They do it all the time. Why I think do they manipulate our emotions like this? It's a good – I don't know. <laughs> uh, she's waiting or something. But, but okay, uh, so let's say Jesse made a bad choice. Yeah. S- other uh, you know, toys, like in Toy Story 2, the uh, you know, Stinky Pete, <laughs> the uh, played by uh, Frasier, I believe – voiced by Fraser, is was never bought. And so he was in a box for years and years and years right. and years. So he's not playing with any – he can only talk to people maybe. But then right. other other toys uh, like um, Squeaky, the – The penguin with the wheezy. Yeah, wheezy. Yeah. Is put on a very tall shelf and is too far away to be able to interact with anyone. And he right. was up there for years other toys are put in a box somewhere in the attic uh, without anyone else. Yeah. And so that's a terrifying proposition. So I wonder if part of it is, you know, in the world rules here, if you are able to move around and do stuff, but only if you're kind of in the active mix of toys that the child has. And then after a certain point, maybe you start freezing and can't play. Mm. Maybe like your brain slows down. Like the, the yeah, like the Tin Man rusts. And, I mean, that would be a a, a welcomed side effect for sure. <laughs> but it, they didn't. They certainly never right. indicated that. But to me, that would be terrifying. I mean, can you imagine mm, the bore, yeah. <laughs> the boredom of of what that would be like? Now, what is it like though when you don't have a limited lifespan? Uh, as an example. Oh, this you just time, sort of like, well, I'm going to live forever. So this time, like, do you remember that story in the Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, where the robot is left for I forget how long it was, decades was it? So like, forever in this one planet, sitting there waiting, and it's it's that same kind of thing. Yeah. And but you know when when you you know a human being, if you have to sit there under a bed, immobile for twenty years. That sucks. That's like easily a fourth of your life. Yeah. But for a toy, it could be nothing. But it might be alive thousands of years from now. Okay. So <laughs> put me in a situation like that 
for three hours, I'm oh, going to go crazy. I so I don't care about you know the amount of uh, d- proportion of one's life. I'd probably yeah. – anyway. And it didn't seem to have any lasting um, trauma though, right? Well, so the bad guys like uh, Lotso in three and Stinky Pete they in, did, in yeah. two, they kind of – and in four – played what was her name gabby that's true they did have trauma from rejection yeah from rejection and and but, being left alone yeah but not from being frozen necessarily just right we do we do have to admit that like the toys do have an ability to appear immobile completely yeah, yeah. they sort of they they sort of flop themselves and that they often have to do this on command because humans come in and right. there's some rule that the humans can't know that they're I mean that's got to take a toll too imagine <laughs> this giant uh you know creature yeah. is just throwing you around and cuz you know in the show in the in the movies when people fall they're hurt it's yeah. not like they're in, they, right. know, they they feel pain anyway right. Which toy? Which toy would you be in the Toy Story universe? Oh wow, definitely Buzz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it would because you know he can fly. It's in the sci-fi genre, which I would have preferred much more. He is uh, a good guy, and he tries to do good. Yeah, he was a little naive, but he was an extrovert. I mean, I would totally be Buzz. Who would I be? Do you think you'd be Woody? Of course. I don't think so. You are. You're a cowboy. You're you're trying to keep everyone organized. You're. You wear your hat and your lasso. Okay. Who, who else do you think I would be? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, maybe uh, the the one that's the voice that's in all the movies, in all the Pixar movies. There's a number of them. Oh, yeah, but the the Cheers guy. Oh, he's the pig. The piggy. I'd be the pig. Yeah, because you're the voice of reason. He's not. He's not necessarily the voice of reason. Uh, the, you're thinking of Slinky. He's the voice of reason. Is he the voice of reason? Yeah, I think Slinky the dog is more the voice of reason. The pig is more kind of selfish and a then pragmatic. Okay, yeah. pragmatist. The sli- right, Slinky is always like helpful. Okay, then I'll, then I'll give you Slinky. There, yeah. You go. I was thinking Slinky. Okay, uh, but I didn't realize this. He was he's voiced by Ernest. You remember? Hey Vern, remember oh, that guy? Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Did you have a best friend toy when you were a kid? Oh Berto? yeah, absolutely. Like I a, still have it. Like a Woody, like a oh, it's Winnie the Pusito. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a little Winnie the Pooh that I still have. It was, I probably got it when I was like one or something. It, the thing is like my age. It is missing a nose, you know, from who knows how long. Like it's been missing a nose for like 40 years. Did you talk to it when you were a kid? I talked to it still. Yes, of like, course. What kind of adventures did you have when you were four years old? So Winnie the Pusito was uh, in all the play with dolls and stuff. So he would, um, he would be, he was Winnie the Pooh. He wasn't some alter ego. But he was like my own personal Winnie the Pooh. He wore a Mickey Mouse shirt. What did shirt. he do? What relationship did you have? He was my security blanket. I, I did also have a blankie. So my blankie and Winnie the Poohsito were my security Did you talk tokens. to him? I talked to him and made his voice. And my, my dad had to make his voice too. What did he say back to you? Um, so, I mean, I'm trying to remember. like The kind of things that would happen were um, he was – he was always like uh, younger than me. He's always been younger than me, so I was always oh. trying to like big brother him along. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so he might be like, "I'm scared." He'd be like, "It's okay." Yes, it's that okay. kind of stuff. Exactly. 
Interesting. Yeah, and then my dad would play along with that too. So at what point did you put Winnie the Pocito in a drawer and neglect it for years Never. and years? Except and then feel guilty. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, that's a great question. So I personally never did that. It's just when I moved at fifteen, for some ridiculously cruel reason, I wasn't allowed to bring most of my stuff. And when I say most of my stuff, like literally ninety nine point nine percent of my stuff, including my security blanket and my Winnie the Pooh, because I'm fifteen, no, no one needs those things at this point. So that got left behind in Colombia. And the first time I encountered Winnie the Pusito again, I was 21. Six years later, my blankie was missing and Winnie the Pooh was still there. How'd you feel? I was so happy and I reclaimed it. I never again, I, then I took him with me and I, I was like, and I couldn't understand why didn't I take him with me in the first place? But the thing is that I was told by my mom to just, I was only, I, I packed one suitcase with clothes and not even that many clothes because she was going to buy me new clothes and stuff. My grandma put coffee bags in there. And I brought almost nothing with me. Well, it's also possible that at that age, 15, you weren't as focused on things like that as you would know to be later in life. Knowing me both before the move and after the move, I wouldn't say so. What I would say is that I was so focused I'm getting the hell out of there and going to live with my mom that I pretty much agreed to anything. I see. And that included leaving behind my computer, leaving behind all my He-Man toys, leaving behind all my books, leaving behind my Winnie the Pusito and my blanket, everything. Yeah. And because I was 15, granted, granted, I wasn't a four-year-old going, no, I can't leave without Winnie the Pusito. I was more like, okay, I'm leaving this place and everyone here and I'm going to a new thing. But it didn't hit me for years and when it hit it hit hard what do you mean when I realized like I had left my whole childhood behind in one fell swoop and that I barely any had any tangible things left behind from it so when you watch Toy Story movies which often tap into that sadness and connection does it hit you hard Niagara Falls man oh yeah. my gosh yeah I cried a lot during Toy Story movies would you cry during 4 um, 4 was less impactful for me Man, I sobbed at the end. Yeah, I, I, I guess three was the one where I thought was the best one so far. Man, oh yeah. And I was, yeah, that a one. A mess. Yeah, when they are, <laughs> when they're going into the incinerator. Oh, and oh. it. I mean, I'm. I mean, and oh god, they. It's scary. Yeah, it's like legit scary. Yeah, and then, you know. I can't remember which which of the toys. It's all the it's all like the eight main toys. Right. Uh you know, you got Mr. Potato Head, Mr. Potato Head, Slinky, and the T Rex the, the, the T Rex, the pig, Woody, uh obviously Buzz. And the gal, uh, Jesse. Uh Jesse, right. And am I missing anyone in there? I think I think maybe there's one more. They realize it's over. And one of them realizes it first, and it's like it, we we keep, we're not getting out we're of this. We're not getting out, right? And and then you know they reach out with their hand to like, I guess let's just hold hands while you yeah. know we we die, and then they all hold each other's hands. Ah, uh, uh, I need a security blanket. <laughs> yes. Where's Winnie Posito? Winnie the Posito. 
And then, <laughs> and then the claw that you know, Deus Machina of yes of God. The claw. Did they have a little them. Martian with them at the moment? Maybe. Oh no, the Martians were. Yeah, the Martians went to the claw yeah. when they first got there. Right, right, right. And they were the ones that figured out how to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is sort of a Frodo moment, you yep. know, that the little guys yep. save the day. But um, and so like, because you know, the 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 claw moment in one was such a iconic, right. The you claw yeah. chooses. Ooh, the claw. <laughs> That's so great. I mean, one of course was, but yeah. So three, I was sobbing. Part of the problem with four is, is I just to be fair to it is I was really tired that day, and I actually did. I missed a little bit during the middle because I dozed off a bit. So I need to rewatch it. So I thought we would look at the bad guys. So in one, the psychology of Sid. Mm, yeah. So do Poor you know kid. what we um, diagnose him with potentially? Well, um, let's see. He seems to be left to his own devices a lot. So, like, I, I feel like there's not a lot of parental units around. And so he probably has some attachment disorders. Yeah. He might um, – he also – he seems sad- sadistic. Right. Sadistic, you know, like he gets enjoyment out of putting these things to suffer. Do you know what we call that in kids? You probably don't. I don't. We call it conduct disorder. Conduct disorder. Yeah. It's like – kid version of psychopathy and and sadism. So I just thought I'd read it here for them, DSM. A repetitive and persistent pattern of behavior in which the basic rights of others or major age-appropriate societal norms or rules are violated as manifest by the presence of at least three of the following 15 criteria in the last 12 months. Okay, so let's go over those. So they're different categories. So at least three. Um, Often bullies, threatens, or intimidates others. Oh, yeah. So it's hard to say because these are toys. But... Right, you right. Know, it, it, but but wait a minute. But they're at least proxies for real people. But isn't there an interaction with like a little brother or a little a little like, sister? A little sister. Yeah, the little sister. He's mean he, to her. Yeah, yeah. But it's not clear. I, if I'm going to really go by the sure. DSM, like a, attachment disorder, there, were, there really wasn't any indication of that. Um, it's probable, but it, we mainly see his re, his relationship with his younger sister and mainly his toys. Um, often initiates f- physical fights. No, because we, no, we didn't see that. Has used a weapon that can cause serious physical harm. On toys. <laughs> yeah. Four, has been physically cruel to people. To his, uh, was he physically cruel to his sister? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Has physically cruel to animals. Our, toy, our living toys animals? See, now, this brings up, you know, in Toy Story, we really empathize with the toys. Yeah. But in the, it's interesting because when you look at DSM stuff, they never, they never talk they about don't, toys. you know, you could be very sadistic to toys and huh. not have that be a, you know, an indication of anything when in reality it probably is, right? Yeah. Um, having said that, most kids are very sadistic to their to their toys. Well, but what about by extension though? Like the fact is, Okay, so you might be old enough to realize that this toy isn't really alive or whatever, but your little sister seems to treasure it so much, and yet you still go ahead and yeah, rip so, the head off. So that's being mean to a human. Yeah. But you know, if you just look at most kids, particularly kids that are a little rambunctious, you know, they shoot their their things. Sure. They um, they throw, throw them, around, them. Yeah. They you know, if they have two dinosaurs, they like to smash <laughs> them into each other. Yeah. Um, has stolen while confronting a victim, like a mugging or something. No. Has forced someone into sexual activity. No. no. Has deliberately engaged in fire setting. He was doing fireworks. Yeah, so you could say borderline there. Has deliberately destroyed other people's property. Yes. A little bit, yeah. 
has broken into someone else's house. No. Often lies to obtain goods or services. Mm, Did not lie? No. Has stolen items of non-trivial value. No. Often stays out at night despite parental prohibition. Not that we know. Has run away from home. No. No. Is often truant from school. No, we don't, don't know. know. Okay. So we have a few there. We have basically mm-hmm. if we include cruelty to toys and the f- minor fire setting that it is. So he would he would potentially qualify for um, childhood onset type and it would be mild. But could we say that – because, you know, as we know, he became sort of a genius video game programmer later in life. Oh, he did? Yeah. And oh, granted, then there was the whole Bandersnatch problem, so we don't really know what happened with that. But oh. um, <laughs> so Stinky the Stinky Pete the pro, the prospect. You know what I mean, right? No, he looks so much like the Bandersnatch oh, developer yeah, yeah, looks yeah, so yeah, much yeah. like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then he did a brief stint in a family that tried to smuggle drugs across the Mexican border. That's true. <laughs> uh, Stinky Pete the prospector. He was the bad guy in two. Um, the thing I didn't really realize was their treatment of bad guys in the Toy Story movies was kind of interesting, you know, because Sid was like mm. this sadistic human. And then Stinky, Stinky Pete, that's, then they start introducing like, well, bad guys sometimes have backstories. And with Stinky Pete, he was, he was never sold, like I said earlier. He was never loved and he became very bitter. Oh, and by the way, I feel like they must have felt like they, they risked writing themselves into a corner if they kept making – only human bad guys, right? right? Because at some point you either have to interact with them yeah. or whatever, yeah. Right. You can't really have a conversation with the bad guy. Right. Like Sid was like – anyway. Um, and uh, I mean that, that, so that's another part of getting back to the psychology of toys is that you're supposed to not interact or reveal that you're sentient to humans. Yeah. But it's okay to do that. Apparently it's not impossible. And yet – no toy on the entire planet has uh, consistently broken that rule to be Not on consistent to be on television, for example. Right, because they don't care about that. They don't get paid. They don't but, have money. But like, for example, Stinky Pete, the yeah. prospector. Right. If he wants to, I mean, he's he's a bad dude. That's true. Lotso. Is a bad Gabby not so bad, but Lotso and Stinky Pete. These are bad dudes. Right. It. What was stopping them from just being like, um, humans, I'm sentient? By the way, that's a good point because if their goal was to be played with, yeah, what better toy? Like, or I'm just, a talking toy. <laughs> or, or just one kid. Just be like, sure. hey, kid, I'm sentient. If you try to tell anyone else that I'm sentient, I'll just act like I'm not. But right. you and me, let's we be friends. Be friends. Yeah. And I, I need to be played with. Like, I want yeah. to be played with. And I'm a talking toy. How better can it get? Yeah. I can, I can do your homework for you. you know? <laughs> and then at the grand scale, you could imagine uh, – I forget. What was Stinky Pete's motivation? So he was never sold. He was never loved. He became very bitter. And so he was in the box like his entire right. life. And then finally a collector got him and, right. um, and was trying to get the full set. Uh, and he wanted to kind of so, – he was so, fine with being collected as long as it was all of them. And the reason why is because if they all got collected, then they were going to go into a museum. And right. they were going to be loved by kids right. and adored better than any other toy. But then that goes to your point. Hey – what better way to be universally loved as yeah. being the talking toy? 
So that was is it a pizza mutually butter. assured destruction problem? Like if one does it, they all do it, and then no one's special. Like, but, yeah, it's just an interesting <laughs> thing to think about. You know that you don't really think about much. Lotso uh, in in three, the Huggable Bear. Also, sorry by the way, because we haven't exactly defined what is the difference between a toy and a non-toy, because clearly. A fork with a little bit of paint can be a toy. Yeah, what about like a like a drawing on a piece of paper? Can, can a glass become a toy? Like, right? Because kids play with all sorts of stuff. Well, it needs eyes and a mouth. Okay, okay, fair enough. Well, okay, I see. It needs eyes and a mouth. Even So even like um, a ball is not. What, what What about when you make your finger into a right? toy? Ah, it's on my fingers a lot. <laughs> So Lotso, the Huggable Bear in three, he had an owner, Daisy, and he was very much in love with Daisy. But then he got lost. Oh, and he, my God. That was... Oh. He, he, like, fought his way back home. That scene was so sad. <laughs> and he found out he was replaced. Oh. Which you could imagine, right? Oh, totally. You're a kid. You've been without your Huggable Bear for a couple of days, and your parent, okay, we'll just get you another one. Yeah. And then he became very bitter. And he's like, screw people. And he says, you have to... Take your, you know, your own destiny in your own hands. Um, we still want to be played by with kids, but yeah. and we need to survive by not being thrown away. But um, I'm not going to be owned by a kid. We'll get into more there because there's some slavery uh, hints there. Gabby in four, similar to Lotso, rejected for having a bad vo- voice box, and it, yeah. he go- she goes way back to like the 40s or 50s or something. She is focused on getting a voice box from Andy because if she thinks if she gets a voice box, she, you know, the only reason why I was being rejected by people is because of her voice box. My voice box isn't working. Uh, She finally gets her voice box back. She's rejected anyway. Right. Because those dolls are considered creepy to kids these days. And then Woody helps her become a toy for Bonnie. So I just thought it was interesting kind of uh, what, you know, they had Sid the first time, but then, with the other three, yeah. they definitely gave him like a pretty heartbreaking backstory, right? Right, and increasingly so. So with Stinky Pete, he had a difficult backstory, but he was evil, and then he ended up he was given to a chaotic child who liked to decorate a lot, and then Lotso had this really devastating backstory, and um, but and was his fate was to be put on the front grill of a truck, <laughs> and but then fast forward to 2019 where we have like more complicated you know, bad guys. You have Darth Vader and and Kylo Ren and right. uh, Breaking Bad and you have these very complicated bad guys and Gabby is like, I just like that trend that even for kids movies. Yeah, right. Because like kid movies and even adult movies back in the day, you had Arnold Schwarzenegger and you had the bad guy. A bad guy. guy. Yeah, just, yeah, just a guy who's bad, you know. Spectre. <laughs> and today we have like, you know, well, there's, and I like that because yeah. uh, people are rarely just evil. You know, there's, there's, re, there's trauma. There's reasons why they become defended. Right. Um, so we can talk about attachment quite a bit here. Uh, I just mainly want to talk about Woody because his attachment to Andy and to Bonnie, I think, are pretty important. Um, in the beginning, we see that Aunt, or Woody is. Well, let's take a break and we get back. Let's let's talk let's about it. attachment. So Umberto, in the Toy Story universe, if Buzz Lightyear as your avatar were to convince the listeners to become a patron of the podcast, how would he say it? 
Hello, I am Buzz Lightyear, and I'm here to offer you a galactic opportunity to support the great podcast of Psychology in Seattle. Every kid needs good psychology to help them grow up, but to help them also keep playing with their favorite toys. So, to infinity and beyond, donate now. <laughs> so, Woody says, uh, in the very beginning of, of one... He's the favorite, and he's trying to be a good leader, and he's like, you know, look, it doesn't really matter matter if Andy plays with us. It just matters if we're there when he needs us. But, of course, Woody can say that because he's Andy's favorite, and he, right. goes, he goes everywhere where Andy— It's easy to say that when you're the number one. Right. So in the beginning, it looks like, oh, Woody is, you know, a secure, attached guy. Then Buzz shows up. And we see him replaced by Buzz. And what does Andy do in this situation? Or what does Woody do after he gets replaced by Buzz? Right. I mean, he's quite jealous and wants to get rid of Buzz. Yeah. Which is quite extreme, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, from all of our talk about attachment theory and everything, do, do you know what sort of attachment style he might have? Maybe you weren't around when we talked about these four styles, but... Um, no, I don't know. So he would be what we call preoccupied, where... Oh, yeah, we did talk about because I we said I had preoccupied attachment aspects, okay. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but we, wouldn't, we hadn't seen that until, like you're saying, when, when Buzz shows up, you're right. also like, oh, I see. Right. Woody is instantly threatened by Buzz. Right. Like, the other toys are, are like, well, we'll see what happens. Welcome in, into the fold. But Woody is very much just like, what is up with this guy? Yeah. This guy's got to go. And he starts to shoot himself in the foot. So when you're preoccupied attachment, when you have been neglected or mistreated or not loved enough as a child, and your solution to that is to try to grab for love right. and, and demand it and, and be very noticeable about your need for love, which is fine um, if it's pointed in a healthy way, but it's, um, if it's pointed in an unhealthy way – it can do what it did to Woody, which is it started to turn his friends away from him. Mm. His friends were just like, "Geez, you're being kind of, kind of jealous, and, and uh, you know, you're not, you're not being a very good friend. You're not being a very good team member." Then he actually threatens Buzz directly and says, "You stay away from Andy. No one's taking him away from me." Yeah. So this is like if we took it. If this was a rated R movie, this would become like he's domestically violent, and yeah, yeah. It, it would get ugly. And Buzz, by the way, at this point is sort of. Certainly, he's oblivious. Yeah, he's like, what? <laughs> right, he doesn't. He has no idea. You yeah, know? it's not like he's doing anything specifically to. Yeah, thwart <laughs> right. Woody. He's just trying to get a spaceship so he can get back. Oh, to, right, because he doesn't even think he's a toy. So. Right. Yeah. He Woody is obsessed with being Andy's number one, kind of like a stalker in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he tries to take Buzz out by shoving him behind a desk, but he ends up, you know, kicking him out of the house completely, knocking him. In, in onto the street into Sid's yard actually right and it, it, it makes Woody a, a pariah among his peers <laughs> everyone turns on him yeah. so this is the tragedy of having insecure attachment is your defenses as a preoccupied person of making sure that your attachment needs are known and making sure that you really advocate for yourself very strongly is a, a useful defense when you're a kid, but as an adult, it ends up actually creating more rejection and more loneliness because it turns other people off and other people run away from you. That's the tragedy of development being 
complicated is mm-hmm. that not only you're mistreated growing up, but it affects your personality. So you end up shooting yourself in the oh, foot man. as an adult. Yeah, that, that's very hard because the thing you're trying to do is a legitimate need mm-hmm. and you just don't know how to go about it. I know. And, you know, and soon, you know, pretty soon you're putting a thousand uh, Valentine's hearts all over someone's college campus. <laughs> and uh, I would do that. But, but so, uh, an interesting way, like if Woody was more balanced in this way. Did you lift the flap? <laughs> Did you order the code flap? Um, if Woody was more secure in his attachment style, he might have done something like called a, a little meeting with everyone and said, hey, I just want to share something. Um, I now realize what a lot of you might have been feeling sometimes because lately I've been feeling like, Andy's not spending as much time with me, and that, that's actually kind of difficult. You know, stuff like this. And then uh, I'm sure his peers would have been very supportive of that, might have right. even told their own stories. Well, yeah, that happened to me. Do you remember when this happened and you went with Andy on that trip? We all wanted to go that time. Right. And then that might have been a little healing. And then Buzz, well, maybe he was still off in La La Land. But once he came out of that, he might have been like, well, I, I'm not here to replace anyone. I'm I actually, maybe we can find ways to play together. I'll recommend you to Andy. No, don't talk to Andy. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Um, but that makes a lot of sense that, that Woody's fatal flaw was that he couldn't go for to other people for support. He yeah. could have been like, man, you know what? At first I thought I could get Andy back, but now I, I don't know if I can. And, and and then the other people go, well, we're here for you. Right. you know. But he was very focused on on the one person you needed to get that person back. Um, another lesson that I thought I pulled away from this episode or from, from that early you know, time with Woody and Toy Story 1 was polyamory. Mm. You don't necessarily get all your attachment needs from just one person. Mm-hmm. You can get your attachment needs from lots of people. Right. I mean, polyamory or just multiple attachments. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so we've already talked about that. I don't want to go into uh, – let's talk about John Lasseter for a second because I feel like that's important to get into. So John yeah. Lasseter, uh, if you're not familiar, he oversaw all the Pixar films. He was a god. Uh, he directed Toy Story and Toy Story 2. He directed a lot of the other Pixar movies. He was executive director on almost every Toy Story movie. He was like the main spokesperson. He uh, – or executive producer, sorry. And my understanding is many of the ideas for the stories came from him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Without him, Pixar might have been nothing. Right. Um, so he what, he's, he's, he's like the, the Steve Jobs of animated CGI children movies, which, yeah. is, which is a thing now, right? But – there were allegations of sexual misconduct. Do you, do you have any memory of it? I remember when it happened and how frustrating it was to hear because you have this association between Pixar and wonderful kids things and then thinking, oh, this person's so amazing. And then it's like if you had heard Walt Disney had yeah. allegations and you're like, oh. Right. So um, he would, whenever they would do like a featurette or something, you know, he would be the one that they would interview. And I remember watching these Pixar featurettes and just think, oh, this looks so, you know, they had these, it was like one of those Google campus yep. where everyone rode around on, on roller skates and they <laughs> had fun and each person's office had like funny decorations and, right. and they just loved working there and it, Pixar is this great place. And, 
And then to hear about what was actually happening, it's just like, yikes. Ah, uh, yes. So yeah, so from Wikipedia, 2017, Lassiter took a six-month leave of absence after acknowledging allegations of workplace sexual misconduct that he described as missteps with employees and uh, blah, blah. The alleged misconduct towards employees included grabbing, kissing, and making comments about physical attributes, just classic sexual harassment at work. The alleged conduct became so well-known that according to Variety, at various times, Pixar had minders who were tasked with reining in his impulses. So, what? So, he, so they would hire people to uh, be assistants to him, and their sole job was to make him stop doing that. Oh, wow. That sounds so compulsive. Yeah. Or the – I don't know. How, it's hard to tell. So Vanity Fair, female – this is from Vanity Fair. Female employees described discomfort with Lasseter's physical affection, which included close hugs and kisses on the lips if a woman failed to turn her face away in time. Jeez. One person says, after one of those hugs, we'd <laughs> joke to each other, boxers or briefs. So – what I think this means is like he hugged me so close and with such pelvic force that I could feel his yeah. his penis, you know. At, at a recording session, she described an encounter that led her to feel strange around her boss. Quote, he leaned, in to wow. my, he leaned into my monitor and whispered in my ear, you look so beautiful, that light in your eyes. It was the way a lover would talk to you. I remember him touching my back or leg or knee and just feeling ugh. So that's pretty classic. Oh, man. Pretty classic sexual, sexual harassment and must be compulsive because it's just like, dude. like. Well, if you have to have watchers paid for by the company. Yeah. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah, because you know someone came to him and was like, dude, you should probably rein that in. Yeah. Even if you're well-meaning with it. You're, you're going to okay. ruin our country. You're yeah. going to ruin our company. Uh, 2018, Disney announced that Lasseter would be leaving the company, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he wrote a letter. It's been brought to my attention that I made some of you feel disrespected or uncomfortable. I especially want to apologize to anyone who has ever been on the receiving end of any unwanted hug or any gesture that they felt crossed the line in any way, shape, or form. So That's not an apology. <laughs> why? Why? Oh, well, a couple of things. First of all, it's been brought to my attention. That's like, I had no idea. Number one. Number two, that some of you, it's like, clearly most of you love me, but some of you annoying squeaky wheels. And then it's like, that we're perceived as. Right. Uh, or, you know, and like he gives a broad swath of possibilities. And it's just the, the whole thing is like, sure, uh, if I offended you, I guess I'm sorry. Right. It's like that. It's like, um, especially this. I want to apologize to anyone who has ever been on the receiving end of an unwanted hug. So it's per, the, 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 and I'm sure it was very well thought out in terms of how he would write this. His lawyer is probably involved sure. as well. And instead of him saying, I knew that it was unwanted, but I did it anyway. Yeah, or like I have a problem, and like I didn't, I didn't realize how bad the problem was, and but like none of that stuff. Instead, it's, hey, if if hugs, you know, if some people had problems with some of the hugs. I, I, I'm sorry. Like it was almost to say like it was wait, never hugs. Made, yeah. Hugs were a problem. Yeah, is that what they're lyn- lynching him for? Yeah, or any other gesture that yeah. that they felt that they felt crossed the line. They felt, yeah. um, you know. Touching someone's knee, uh, saying you look so beautiful, and, and whispering that in your ear. 
I mean, you there's like hugs. Okay, like you like it, it could be good, could be bad. That's like you don't really know. You have to be there. Right. But there is no situation in which a male boss whispering into a yes a, a younger female's ear whispering you look, you so, look beautiful. so beautiful yeah there is no <laughs> there's no yeah. situation where that is not considered right, right, right. a problem and 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 the thing with the hugs so i've been in situations probably in the last 15 years or so i have been hyper vigilant and aware in in business situations at my work and so like when when i'm putting together bandanas and stuff like that and we're in a meeting we're deciding the new design stuff i never reach out ever physically right but there are some people that actually reach in and and go for a hug like females and like after an event so and i in those cases i never like push them away or something because i don't know i personally feel that that would be awkward in its own way so i just i just do it but it's a very quick like pat, pat, that kind of thing um but there's a very difference big difference between that and like come here hug, hug, hug. like and and all the time and like you know that like that's yeah. a different thing <laughs> yeah i'm always just when i see people like that i'm like okay you're a hugger do you not have enough people to hug in your life because yeah. that doesn't have to happen at work. Yeah. There's. Do you have your family? Do you have your friends? Yeah. Like, go for it. I, I'm a hugger. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons with an, with some old friends from college, and you know, like you and I usually hug when we first see each other and when we say goodbye. And I do that with a lot of my friends, even friends that I think they probably only do that with me. But we have a routine. But with these new D and D guys. I haven't seen them regularly, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm starting to see them more regularly. And I hug them every time. And a couple of them are always kind of like, oh, okay, let's hug. Oh, we're hugging. This yeah. is what we're doing now. Yeah, and they're fine <laughs> with it, but it, it, it sort of is, is, you know. So my point <laughs> is, it's like I'm sexually harassing all my friends. Well, it was just, yeah. It was just no, no, my, because... my point is, is that <laughs> with, if you're a hugger, and I'm a hugger, yeah. Uh, hug away with people that you are fairly sure, if not, ask them. But Especially you, where you don't have a managerial, right. professional relationship with. Where the underling would have high motivation to keep their feelings to themselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, go for it. And, and have, have physical intimacy, hold hands, hug for a long period of time. Right. When it comes to work, and you're a fucking boss, you know... Uh, grow a fucking neuron like Lasseter was a genius the fact that he didn't have two neurons to rub together and realize maybe some of these women are not into this they were rubbing together the wrong way (laughs) he knew that's the point and for him to make a quote unquote apology where he's like well I never knew it's like dude you know, your it's IQ, been brought to my attention. Yeah, your IQ isn't seventy five. Yeah, you you had to have known. Yeah, especially because like all that stuff, the narration of it. I actually hadn't heard all these details. It sounds calculated, like just like mm, I think I'm gonna do this now, and I, right. I'm gonna come into the office at this moment because it's later, and I'm going. To, you know, I yeah. could totally see it. Like now, Lasseter in all likelihood has some damage from in his life that he's been through to produce this sort of impulse and lack of ability to control himself or lack of empathy in a situation like that. But yeah, these, and I can fully relate to those kinds of things. 
The the other thing I, I so changing the topic here because we have about ten more minutes. Um, there's a moment where I in Toy Story two where it's sort of like Last Temptation of Christ, like not the the movie also, but also just <laughs> yeah, like it's just like that. The, the Bible story. It's when uh, Jesse and Stinky Pete and Bullseye are laying out to Woody and saying, "Look, if you come with us, we'll be in a museum. We'll live forever, Andy." Andy's going to grow old. Yeah. And you're going to get put in the attic. You're going to get put in the garbage. You might not even, if you go home right now, you know, your arm got ripped off. You might actually never get played with again. Yeah. Now you can go back. It, but if you stay with us, then you can have the whole world. They'll fix your arm. You'll be in a pristine care. And, yeah. and I love movies where the bad guys or the, the antagonists present such a compelling argument that you're almost okay actually yeah it's not such a bad argument which like you know Raylo Kylo Ren and Ray when Kylo and please don't use that term around when uh, you know because they're in a relationship ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Kylo is reaching out to Ray and saying I just killed the emperor yeah it's now you and me. Because it's different than before when the emperor was enticing Luke right. and saying, join me. This time it's like, Kylo's like, look, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm the son of Princess Leia and Han Solo. Right. I'm, I'm, I was Luke Skywalker's student. We can make a difference here. So he's yeah. not... He's not eternally evil. Like you, you know that there's there's a sensible person in there that used to exist anyway. Right. And and Ray and him together, it's conceivable that if they actually did rule together, that Ray could rein in Kylo's bad impulses, and Kylo could be powerful because you need a powerful leader over a galaxy, right? Right. And you know, when, again, when you watch the sh- the movie, if you look at it simplistically, it's like, well, Kylo is asking for something evil. Yeah. yeah. But if you really look at it, it, yeah. w- it was an He's entice- presenting uh, a non-stupid, trivial argument. Right. And that's what happens in that moment. It's like, well, actually, yeah, maybe I should go. Yeah, because there was a part of me when I was watching to uh, the numerous times I've watched it where I'm just like, hey, you know. Uh, Andy is getting older. Yeah. And that world is kind of scary. Right. You could get lost. Your, your buddies could get lost. Right. Um, this world, it's like you're a collector's item. You're yeah. never going to get lost. No. You're, and you're always going to have this family. And you're going to meet other toys in the museum. And you're, right. you're going to have a whole adventure there. And they'll have, they'll be, a lot of them will be from the same era. You'll have memories together. Now, what's genius of the show and the, the way they, the movie and the universe they constructed is that they, they were still able to give us enough rules so that we could see what the, what the righteous but more difficult path was, which was, yes, that actually makes a lot of logical sense, but our duty is to our owners. Which is a very Judeo-Christian <laughs> way of looking yeah. at life, by the way. It's not right. It's not a very, um, what were the ancient Greeks, the hedonists? Yeah. 
it, it's not a very the Epicureans. <laughs> ep, it's not a very Epicurean yeah. way of looking at life. It's a very way of just like, well, this is too easy. Um, I have a duty and my 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 purpose, which is divined by God, which right. is sort of like Andy or just the way of the world, is that I am Andy's toy, yeah. and I must return. And so, yes, you actually make a great point, and that would be the easier path. Just like Jesus, it would be the easier path for me to go with you, Satan, and rule the world. Oh, that I thought you were talking about Jesus, like this... Dude, I know. He's like amazing tattoo artist. Well, he was, you know, okay. <laughs> t- tempted, right? The last time yep. he was tempted. And then Jesus decides, no, I'm going. And in the last Temptation of Christ move, he actually goes with the temptation and then on his deathbed regrets it and wants to go back in this pretty beautiful shot, Scorsese way. But in the yeah. Bible, it's depicted pretty quickly. He says no, and then he, uh, Jesus says, no, I have to go to the pain. I have to go to the duty. I have to sacrifice myself for society. Right. And, you know, if you're a Christian and if, you're, if you've watched Toy Story 1, then you're rooting for uh, Woody to go back to Andy. Right. But if you just look at it from an Epicurean point of view, it's like, dude— why? Why? Like Andy doesn't know you're yeah. you're alive. Yeah. Andy is going to eventually put you in a box, which he did right after two, by the yeah. way. You know, because they go to three. Right. And in three, Woody and all the other toys have been stuck in a box. Yeah. And many of the other toys have been given away, which they didn't depict, by the way. Oh, because Andy in two was leaving for college? Right. And in three, he's at college already. No, no. No. At, Two, no, it two ends, two at, ends right, right. he's a kid. In three, he was going to college. At three, he is 18 and going to a college. Yeah, and right, right. and the toys we learn for the past five years have yeah, been in a, in a, in a footlocker yeah. uh, without anyone playing with them because Andy won't let his younger sister play right, with his, right, right, with his yeah. toys. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's an interesting question that when I watch it with more sort of paying attention i'm like wow that was an interesting if you really look at that choice now in the end as andy's like okay i'm going back we learned that stinky pete's evil and so it was the right choice because stinky pete at his core was actually a bad person but we didn't know that in the moment and well unless you were predicting um you could say that to some extent about the third one but i think they tipped their hand sooner on the third one with uh lotso right yeah so Let's talk about suicide, the uh, Forky. A lot of people are, in, you know, a lot of people are writing about it. Like on Twitter, people are writing, I can't believe they centered the fourth Toy Story movie around a suicidal spork. Wait, that, suicidal? That's the, most, that's the most 2019 millennial shit I've ever seen. Wait, why suicidal? Another person right. there's a Forky in every group. Yeah, so it's, it, it's, it's very, everyone on the internet is like, Toy Story 4, Forky, Suicide. You have questions. What are they? Well, I, I mean, I guess if we're going to change the rules all of a sudden, my understanding is that Forky doesn't want to go to the trash because he wants to stop existing. He just belong. He feels like he belongs in the trash. He, that's where he feels comfortable. But I don't think – does he 
die when he goes into the trash? Well, I think it's sort of implied that he doesn't want to be alive. But 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 I got the same. I have the same questions that you do. I think when you watch it, maybe the trailer or something, it looks suicide. It looks like suicide. But when I was watching this show, I never got the impression that Forky wanted no. to die. It was more of Forky was this weird abomination that sort of was this weird Bonnie creation and, you know, jumbled together parts that don't really fit right. And to me, when I, and I watching it the first time, I didn't really think about this, but looking at, I think that the Toy Story universe, there are essential purposes to objects and people. Mm -hmm. And so to Woody, when he was created, when Buzz Lightyear, when they created, they have the, this essential purpose to, be dutiful to yeah. to a to a child and and to desperately want that child to play with them to a uh, to sport to forky forky began uh, or at least that ended its journey as trash yeah it's a disposable uh, utensil it, it was in the trash i think bonnie actually gets him w- out wasn't it woody cuz woody was trying to help bonnie not be so sad and like and so he, he, yeah something like that yeah and 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 i think you're right so like the life cycle of a spork of a plastic spork would have been gets used for eating like and for then, like for 5 minutes 5 minutes and then gets disposed of and right. that's the happy cycle right and so when forky becomes sentient it is still in that essential right. purpose of i i've, I've got to go to i got to go to the trash yeah i want to go to in the same way that I don't want to be a servant to a Andy, an eight-year-old child for the rest of my life. Right. Um, but if my essential purpose was that, then I would. Right. Um, that would be my instincts. Well, I, the, the instinct of a spork is to go to trash. Right. I look at it a lot more like, okay, if, if we were going to look at uh, Dead Poet Society, it's not the last part of the movie where the kid commits suicide. It's the first parts of the movie where he... He doesn't want to be a military kid. He wants to be an artist, right? Sporky wants to be a trashiest, trashiest. Right. <laughs> but Woody convinces him otherwise, and yeah. he changes his purpose. Right. If anything, if anything. He's causing him to commit suicide. Yes, because you could argue that the thing that caused the Dead Poets Societies to kill themselves was not being a trashist. The other thing noted, so I rewatched all four of the movies recently, or all three, the first three, because yeah. I just watched four was I noticed how male-centric the movies were in the beginning and still, still mostly are. Definitely. Yeah. So when I was, you know, Toy Story 1 came out 95, so I'd have been 24, uh, 2 was 99. So at this time in my life I and in society, we hadn't really seen the matrix in terms of how male-centric our society is. Right, right, right. And... Watching this movie, and again, you can have a male-centered movie, but it was just like this is a this is a movie marketed to kids. It's not marketed to boys. This is a movie marketed yeah. to all kids, and it should include girls, right? But but there's almost no female characters in the movie to begin with. In the first one, yeah. But throughout one, two, and three are four. It gets a little better with both. I think in two they. They brought in Jesse to try to address this, right? But she's not exactly a full round. She's a very secondary character. I agree. And, and she's basically Buzz Lightyear's sexual target. You know what I mean? 
Um, I, I mean, she's I mean, at least it's a girl in, yeah. in, that's in the movie, right? But it's still pretty sidelined. Well, no, I'm not disagreeing. I, I guess I'm saying is they must have realized that Toy Story 1 was 100% on one side. So they started going like, well, I think we need to. Maybe. You know. I, I, I wonder, though. I wonder if it was just sort of random. Like, well, let's, how about a, how, you know. It can't I, be because she was better than Woody at being Woody in many cases. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she was a better cowgirl or than a, he was a cowboy. Yeah. So I think but, there was a little bit of that. And I think in 4, they did that sort of, because that's, that's sort of like step two of moving away from male centrism, which is like, well, how about we put a, girl character in there but she's really good at things it's sort of like marge you know and lisa it's like well okay we'll put a girl in there but you know and okay we'll please the women by making them really good but that's not interesting it's not full rounded if you want to put a an actual female character she has to have all the angles she's got to have good parts and bad parts just like woody and buzz and all the others bo peep enters uh in toy story 4 as like maybe the very first strong Female characters and, and the villain is a yeah is a female, right? And but they're still not you know the focus per se. Sure. Uh, we're we're very much focused on and, and she's very much like the maternal uh, attractor for Woody. She's it's not like Bo Beep's story now, and it's hard because their main characters right. are already defined. Right, the main characters are already defined. You can't just start creating brand new characters and expect the <laughs> audience to go along with that. I get right. it. But I'm just saying, like, and I think you're shoehorned in with all Toy Story movies to some extent. In but, fact, like, but it's just notable when I was rewatching through my now uh, awakened brain to this. Immediately, I was like, "Whoa! Like, this is. I mean, it's mm. not. It's not horrific, but I was sure. just like, man, like, this is. There's not. A, there's no girl characters in here that are role models or interesting sure, yeah. or you know. Um, I, I felt like Marvel kind of dropped the ball with that too because. If you think about it, they're like, okay, well, shoot, we're very male heavy. Uh, let's make a movie with the females. A female is the the heroine. But if you compare like Wonder Woman versus Miss uh, Marvel or whatever, um, the Miss Marvel was kind of a tokenization of like, okay, well then we'll have a female Superman, and she's just perfect and the most powerful one. But like little on the character side, exactly. Side and- right. Like if you want to. Like Wonder Woman, but even Wonder Woman, it's still like it's not perfect. But I felt like they the did Chris, a better job. The Chris Pine character had more character than the Wonder Woman character did. I don't know, man. I don't know. More, I, I more thought, human. More hu- the thing well, is, sure, is, they made her still alienish. That's true, right? So, and because you know, to men, women are alien. Yeah. And so, it, it, if fair. if you wanted to make a movie about a female character, you should have. I guess you would. I guess make it with a uh, Scarlet Witch because. Uh, Black Widow was pretty one-dimensional as a character. Maybe you could flesh her out a little bit because she's kind of wooden. Well, yeah, because the, uh, the other issue is that usually in movies where they try to make like, okay, well, this is an action movie where the female is the star. But essentially, it's a man's role. Right, Mas- masculine, masculinized yeah. woman, which is fine. But again, if that's all you have, you know, people are like, well, we spoke quotas. No, we're talking about is like it, it, if – well, we don't have to go over that. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. the last few things I want to talk about are, are duty. You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the duty of of Woody and of 
Buzz Lightyear right. and the toys. It's like you gotta, you have to serve your duty in life. And I feel like that's a lesson they're trying to teach the kids. I, that's what I was trying to think is like, what lessons? Because you know, <laughs> children's movies are about lessons. Sure. So what lessons are they trying to teach? That slavery was okay. Right, because, uh, you know, it's like this class of sentient creatures (laughs) that have no power and are completely discarded and not really heard or listened to, and they have to be... Toys should be played with, not heard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, it's like... But I think the main... I think that's just the plot device that that they they say. And the, uh, the real lesson is friendship, you know, give to others, help other people, don't leave anyone behind. Yeah. And certainly in the first movie, that is completely redeemed. In the second one, I think that turning point where Woody decides to go back, even though you could say, well, it's like a slave relief. But but in reality, what it is is like, well, the, the easier option is to go kind of live a comfortable life. The harder option is to finish your job, right? And your job in this case is because you have a relationship with this child. And so it's almost like a parenting thing, right? Like it's like, right. yeah, it's easier to leave and be a single person with no cares. But what if you have to be a parent? Yeah, so another way of looking at these movies is it's preparing kids to be parents. Is that you don't, when you're a parent, particularly the way that parents are taught to parent today right. in, in the United States, is when you parent, you don't think about yourself, which is a bad lesson to have, by the way. It's a very out-of-kilter life yeah. choice. But that's the, the modern vision of parenting is that your child takes, you know, is, is absolutely number one. Yeah. And all of their – whatever they want, they get, and you have no wants, and you're just there as – to them. That's your only role. Right. You're just a toy to this child. You're just a parent to this child. And when that child – and if the child puts you in the attic, you wait there until the child comes. And if the child never right. comes back to you, then you're just in the That's attic. a lot in life. That's, That's fine. your only purpose. Right. This is not a good way to live <laughs> life as a parent. And I feel like that's kind of a lesson that they're trying to teach, teach people. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is that in three, there's this daycare, which I really liked because – my mom had a daycare growing up, and a lot of the same toys like that, <laughs> like that telephone. Yeah, the, totally. Yeah, my mom had that, and so my mom's daycare was in our house. So, and it wasn't a separate part of the house. They were they were all over in my bedroom. Oh wow, interesting. In, in my living room. Oh, that'd be trippy. In my bathroom, in my kitchen, <laughs> like they were essentially. I had from the age of I don't know seven to eighteen. I had wow. like I had like fifteen younger siblings. Oh my god! I didn't realize this. Yeah, that's you've, you've been to my parents' house. Oh, I told. Yeah, I have. They were all over. The I only place they incredible. couldn't go was upstairs. But I never went upstairs. So. Oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah. So I had no idea. <laughs> so it's just kind of nice to see that because you know. Well, another thing though, you and I, our generation, can relate to is the toys they picked uh, for the, for right. the movie, especially the first movies. All of them, yeah. because the thing that I think is brilliant about that that choice of the of the maybe it just appealed to the artists themselves and the creators themselves is that often your the toys you have are not from that time. Right. They're like hand me downs, especially like the. The toys that are put in the big bin, right? It's oh, just like totally. just toys that have been around the family a long time. Anyway, the last thing I want to say is in three, they're in the daycare, 
and Lotso uh, is like, okay, there's this, there's the young kid room and the older kid room. Yeah. And in the young kid room, toys get destroyed. <laughs> yeah. And so mayhem. what do we, what's our solution here? Okay. Solution here is the new guys, they go to the young kid room <laughs> and get destroyed. Meanwhile, w- we get to stay in the big kid room and have nice time. So, so there's this, a class system essentially. Yep. Where you have the underclass, which are the new people, and the overclass, which or the middle class, which is actually the the toys in the good room, and then you have the overclass, which is the humans um, and the kids, I suppose. And so, in many societies, are like this. Like, uh, for example, in our society in the United States, you have middle class people who put down working class people, or people yeah. who are oppressed in rural Alabama putting down black people who are oppressed. It, yeah. it, it's, it's a very common societal phenomenon. It actually made me think, uh, and I, I'm sure this was completely on purpose too, because uh, his role, where he was from, everything, Lotso made me think of essentially the, the house butler in a southern mansion right. in, in slavery times. He was voiced, I think, by a black man too. Um, Lotso. Okay. I don't know. So basically it's like, hey, uh, I am. I got preferential treatment because I'm inside, and I'm like butlery. Y'all go outside, You're, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, or you know, sophomores who bully freshmen because yeah. the sophomores are being bullied by the juniors and the seniors. So it all trickles down. It's a culture of classism, and when you have a culture of classism and oppression, the lower classes will start to stratify because they're all they're all struggling to get resources, and that's what we see in Toy Story Three. Um, the last detail I would say is that the CGI in Toy Story 1 is terrible. <laughs> I mean, for the time it was revolutionary, yeah. but yes. Na- yeah, 19- <laughs> 1995. I mean, it, it was. Yes. But when you, the, the, the leaps, actually oh, each crazy. movie, actually each, you see the leap just from one to two, two to three, and then three to four. Four. It's four insane, dude. Four looks amazing yeah. like it just looks and but it's funny because your mind does it tricks you right because like yeah. until you go back and watch you're yeah. thinking oh yeah these are the same characters right and then you go back and watch you're like no oh my god yeah very very different i mean they kept the themes the same essentially totally. but yeah. but yeah i mean i i thought that was pretty notable um uh, but yeah of course when for the time i mean jurassic park was late seven late late 90s i'm guessing no no jurassic park yeah no, that was 93, right? 93. Oh, was it? This yeah. was around the same time. Jurassic Park holds up way better because it was mostly yeah. re- real with the CG. But this was the first full-length full like of this level of computer graphics. Like that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And it proved not only like okay, well, what a technical achievement. It was like best movie of the year almost, you know. Yeah, good good story. That yeah. was a thing that Lasseter yeah. and Pixar always did was like, right. okay, we're technical geniuses, but we got to have a good, solid, classic story. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's a gimmick. It's crazy. Final word on the psychology of Toy Story, Bruno. Uh, those movies have moved me every single time. I'd say uh, one in three the most. Um, and they do actually have so many themes that, as we've talked about today, that are beyond just the surface. Uh, they also bring back a lot of memories, both good and painful. Um, I will say one last thing is I, I kind of want him to stop for now. I was actually really happy with three, and I, I'm, I think they did a good thing with four, but 
I don't know if I want them to keep making more and more Toy Stories right now. You know, but I'm on the fence. I lo- I went into four. Actually, it took me a while to see four in the theaters because I was just like, eh, you know, do I really need it? But I was like, well, I got good reviews. And I'm so glad I saw it. I just love that world. Sure. But I mean, or maybe maybe do a different thing. Like maybe do a a forky. Yeah, like a very different thing with none of the original characters, but like like a Fast and Furious, Ho- yeah, Hobbs, and, Hobbs Shaw, and Shaw, or a s- Solo, a Star well, just Wars. Just let it live for a little bit. Why does everything have to be a sequel or remake? Well, do you know the only original movie out right now? Not really, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was one of the only original things out right now. Well, it, so Toy Story the sequels are like ten years apart, so. If if the next one is ten years from now, I'm good with that, you know. Sure. Yeah. I'm down. My final word about the similar to yours, Berto, is is like that the the emotions that I have felt in this. I mean, three and four are you know very memorable experiences for me. I have always been confused by adults that don't go see you know what's well, a cartoon. It's a cartoon. Pixar. Uh, you know, stories like Toy Story are some of the best stories, some of the best films, Inside Out, some of the best films that have ever been made. Yeah. And just because it's a cartoon or it's about kids, just because it doesn't have, like, blood and guts and mobsters and, uh, you know, boobs and butts and penises. Well, you're getting me kind of excited. What, what movie is this that you're talking about? <laughs> just because you don't have that, somehow it's not considered, like, Right. awesome movie that you know you think about toy story and 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 it's ilk megamind for example uh i mean i even like some of the lesser known picture ones like the one about the dinosaur oh yeah that's for the last the good dinosaur the good dinosaur yeah. beautiful movie i've seen it a few times it's underrated i think it is um i i just i just love it and i uh feel like people should watch it all the time if you're a parent with young kids, you've probably watched it very often. <laughs> um, and I just commend Pixar and, I guess, Lassiter for creating something that infiltrated a culture that was really averse to watching cartoons as adults. Yep. Um, I hope that Lassiter and the thousands of other people that have not been caught yet, by the way, and not outed yet, can uh, get the help they need and stop doing what they're doing. Indeed. And I am waiting on the edge of my seat for the next Pixar movie because they just keep pumping out some of the best stories yeah. and, uh, you know, tear-jerking moments that I've ever seen. That does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself because... You deserve it. <laughs>